Under Whiskey Podcast, and I am joined today, and as always, with my friend, business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Hello, Jason. Uh, hello there. I feel like I should come in with some boxing gloves and some boxing shorts on, and <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That was, that was a Bruce Buffer introduction, if ever I heard one. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's all those years in broadcasting school. It's got me where I am today. <laughs> Jason! No, I'm not going to continue. Let's get ready. Is that that guy? Is that who that is? It is. That's Bruce Buffer. You got a sports reference. Look at that. <laughs> today you are a man. Today. <laughs> but not take... tomorrow. No. Only today. <laughs> only today. So, what are we doing today, Joshua? Well, I don't think that we can do anything until we tell people what it is, what we do that we do. <laughs> is it <all> that? <laughs> okay. So, deep breath. Uh, um, we have an independent bottling company. I was going to say we we have a single cast nation called Independent Bottling Company. Uh, it's not going to work, is it? No, 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 no. So, we have an independent bottling company called Single Cast Nation that right. is uh, available online and separately in retail. Mm-hmm. We run a whiskey festival called Whiskey Jubilee in New York, Chicago, and Seattle. And we run Whiskey Tours of Scotland mm-hmm. called Whiskey Geek Tours. And oh, we have a podcast called One Nation Under Whiskey. Yes, which I think, I could be wrong on this, but I think people may be listening to it right now. I hope so. I, to be honest with you, even just sitting here with headphones on talking to you is a lot of fun. It's so. nice. It is nice. <laughs> Here I am sitting in an unusual place. Usually, you know, you're you're in Virginia. I'm in Connecticut. Uh, that's where we are based. Uh, but this time around, I'm, uh, I'm recording from Chicago. And do you want to tell us why you're in Chicago? Or is that top secret? Dun, 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 dun. Um, no, it's not. It's not top secret. It's it's Whiskey Week in Chicago. Aha! Uh, yes. Sounds like a good time to be in Chicago. Yeah, it's a good time. So, uh, lots of events happening at uh, various bars and shops and you name it. It's a good time. So, I'm out here for that. And I'm in my hotel room right now. So, if my audio sounds slightly different than usual, well, there's your answer. I'm not in my comfort zone. Speaking of audio, right? over the last episode, we noticed a little bit of static that we started did. to appear in our podcast. Yep. And we have gone to great efforts to eliminate the static. Mm-hmm. So, fingers crossed that it's working for us. <laughs> we will know after we're done rambling. Yeah. As we're talking, you just hear... I not hear a word that guy said. What did he say, Mildred? What did he say? Oh, man. So... Something about Tic Tacs. What did he say? <laughs> I just heard boots and cats. Um, <laughs> a few weeks back, it, I met with Richard Urquhart of Gordon McPhail. Indeed. That was uh, actually what am I saying? A few weeks. This was back in February now. Where were you? Where, where were you when you spoke with him? 
Uh, it was at the Julio's Whiskey Go. Ah, okay. Event. Okay, so Boston MA. Yeah, Boston MA. Okay. And uh, and I met with Richard Urquhart of Gordon McPhail, and he is one in a in a long line of Urquharts that have been uh, running the Gordon McPhail operation for he's, he's quite some fourth, time. He's fourth generation now. Yeah, he is. Look at that. That's that's we're very privileged to have this conversation with Mark Watt about the 175 years of Cadenheads. Mm-hmm. Cadenheads, yeah. Also Cadenheads, also the way Richard Arkert pronounces it. You know what? He's, he's, <laughs> we got that. We got that on wax. <laughs> Just the other day, we were talking with uh, Mark Watt at Cadenheads. Or Cadenheads, depending on how you want to pronounce it. We had a conversation about that. What is your pronunciation? Cadenheads. Okay, good. That's on the record. Here we are talking to uh, Richard Urquhart, fourth generation of Gardner McPhail. Uh, there's a, a portion in the conversation with him where he talks about that lineage. Mm. Uh, and and I like the way he talks about, you know, great-grandfather, left it for grandfather, yeah. left it for yeah. father. It's... And then the way it spreads out, it, yeah, it's a nice nice little bit, really frames what Gordon and McPhail have been up to. Okay, so my grandfather inherited the business from my great-grandfather. Yeah. My grandfather had three sons and one daughter, yeah. and the business was passed down to all four of them. Okay. Then my generation, there's actually 10 of us, four of us who work in the day-to-day side of the business. Mm. Um, one member of the family is actually a non-family, is a family member who sits on the board yeah. and there were five um, are not directly involved in a day-to-day basis okay. but we're all descendants of our of our grandfather effectively so here's the Urquhart family fourth generation and we discussed this before uh, I think it was in the Mark Watt conversation where they've got such a history right yeah yep no doubt about that and 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 us five six years into this has an even shorter history than someone who's so established like David Stirk, who is, you know, twelve years into this with ex- with exclusive malts. It's true. It's it's funny. There are some days where I what I think. Well, you know, I'll look at the bottle archive that we've got on the website. Yeah, and I I think yeah, we're we're doing this. We're plugging along. Here it comes. And then yeah. I look uh-huh. at some of the others that are. A little bit more established than us, and a lot more established than us, and yeah, we're just we're just getting our feet wet at this early stage. Yeah, and uh, who knows what the future holds for us? Thinking of our bottle archive, it reminded me of when I asked Richard. You know, he has a cask archive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Um, I I had asked uh, how many distilleries were represented in the Gordon McPhail warehouse so i'm curious if 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 you know what your number is 103 103 and that's not excluding benoit benoit would be 104 okay okay we treat them separately okay but 30 percent of our 103 distilleries would be closed distilleries so your port allens your rosebanks your glenalbans your melbournes your colburns glenlockies mustawis and the other ones that i'm getting a bit of a mental block at the moment You surprised me. When? Just now? In your conversation with Richard. Okay. You asked a very interesting question. I often do. 
<laughs> the type of compliment only a mother could give. Oh, look um, at that. Look at that. So, so yeah, I, I was I was listening to the interview. I obviously, I wasn't there with you. Um, that's why I wanted to have the context of where you were interviewing them because there's some voices in the background and some general yeah. hubbub. And so you're at the Julio's. Yep, Julio's Whiskey Whiskey Go Go Festival. Nice. Yeah, it's busy festival up there. Um, and so I, I was listening to the the raw footage of the interview, and you said to him, uh, "Let's see if I can get this right." What do you think the whiskey landscape would look like if there were no independent bottlers? Mm-hmm. I've never in my life asked that question of myself, <laughs> of anybody. <laughs> I thought it was cracking. And, and you know, when Richard got his, his moment to answer, you could hear that he hadn't been asked that question before either. Yeah. Uh, and so... Let's let's give a little listen to that, and then maybe you and I can can go back and forth and and see why you thought about that question, uh, and and kind of what you happen to think about that. So let's listen to Richard first. For me, I think it's more it's all about the variety of expressions from distilleries. If if I take our own distillery, Ben Romer, we maybe have about twelve different expressions at any one time, um, but we don't have enough volume to sell any whiskey off to other bottlers or even to our, to our own use. We're a very small distillery, but if you love Ben Homework and you try all our expressions, independent bottlers give you the option to try different and unique expressions that wouldn't be available from that distillery. And I think that's really where independent bottlers fit in. It's that variety and the difference of expression than the core releases. You are correct in saying that I asked a very interesting question. As, as those I are my exact do. words. Those are my exact words. I okay. think those are your exact words. It's usually interesting because you wonder how my mouth could have formed such an awkward sentence. <laughs> that's why it's that's why it's usually interesting. <laughs> no, 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 don't come on, come on, don't don't do that to yourself. Oh. It's a good question. It's a good question. Pat yourself on the back. Okay, yeah, I was lashing myself. <laughs> okay, don't like lash Opus yourself. Day, and now I should pat myself. Okay. So, so his his takeaway was it, it's kind of hard to conceive of such a world, mm-hmm. given that you know we've had independent bottlers for for as long as we have forever. Yeah, um, and it's it's interesting, obviously, for us being based in the United States, where a, a lot of people don't think we're doing any kind of work mm. uh, because you just pick a mature cask from a warehouse and you bottle it and wow how lucky are you um but independent bottlers really do have a job to do and they really can do good work um and so so what's your takeaway from this what what do you think the landscape would look like if we didn't have independent bottlers you know i I think when i asked richard that that question it it was one that i had not I hadn't put any thought into it. It it simply popped into my head. We don't need to know how the sausage is made, Joshua. <laughs> First, you get the casing. No, just just you asked an interesting question. Now, let me hear your take on it. <laughs> in in my opinion, I, I think it's difficult to see an industry without independent bottlers, and you can look at it from a, from a couple of different standpoints. You know, part of me thinks about going into going into Julio's, right, or or any shop, any any good whiskey shop, mm-hmm. um, 
and going in there and not seeing something independently bottled, or especially these days, in some cases, it's not necessarily something that's independently bottled. But here in the U.S., we have taken it to a different level where it's individually picked. So, in other words, you know, getting, we're going to, because this conversation happened at Julio's, and we'll, we'll bring up this store quite a bit, uh, Ryan Maloney um, makes part of his claim to fame for all of his individual cask and barrel selections. So he's not an independent bottler, but people are coming to him as an authority for good whiskey. And sure. it's, and it's sure. based on his selections. Now, his selections will show up in, you know, Kentucky Spirit Bottle, Widow Jane. You know, he's he's even selected some Gordon McPhail stuff. He selected a, a Bourbon Cast Mortlach. If there were no independent bottlers, I wonder if there would even be this individual private selection that we see so so prevalent nowadays and any mm-hmm. store you know any good i shouldn't say any good whiskey shop because that that's throwing shade in places where shade should not be but um you know there are a lot of shops around that that do these individual picks to help uh keep their customers loyal oh you know i'm, I'm gonna come in you know ryan just picked some new casks you know the Kenny over Gordon's picked some new casks, you know, bread at Binney's, you know, so on and so forth. They all have their selections and people go to them because they say, you know what? I really like the store picks they do. But none of that, I don't think, could have have existed if it weren't for the Caddenheads, Gordon McPhail's of the world to help kickstart that some, you know, 175, 200 years ago, you know, whatever the number is. Yeah, well, it's not even really like the industry was built on the back of of brand releases, right? If you think about the early starts for Johnny Walker, for Shiva's Brothers, right? It was casks getting out. It was just how do we sell whiskey? It wasn't just we're launching a brand and we're going to stick to that for the rest of our days. Mm-hmm. It was we're selling whiskey. Yeah. And what does that look like? And, and so I, as much as I think it's a very interesting question... I, I don't think it's possible to imagine a landscape without independent bottlers because they've always been an integral part of the industry. And I, th- I think that was kind of Richard's takeaway from it as well, was well, we've always done it, right? Yeah. We've always been here. Um, I think it's a harder sell on, on the other end. And I've, I've made this comment before uh, about why would you for a lot of consumers, the question is, why would you buy the knockoff Rolex? Why would you buy the knockoff Gucci bag? Yeah. Um, and to see independence as knockoffs is just a mistake on that particular consumer's end. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the independent bottler themselves. Um, and so it's getting ahead of that messaging and letting you know the consumers know what it is the independent bottler brings to the table and has always brought to the table yeah and 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 that's where we rely on rely heavily on retailers heavily on 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 bars and bar owners to help send that message through because i hate to say it if we didn't have the help of them and and of course social media now with blogs and 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 things like that because 
you know, it used to be it used to be that your bar was the front line to to try something new or to learn about something new. Now you can do that through blogs. But the point I'm trying to get at is if there were no blogs, if there were no shops, <laughs> Um, <laughs> if there were no independent bottlers, <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's let's say okay, we have independent bottlers, right? But if there was no support, yeah, then we would end up with something that would be so incredibly homogenized. Yeah, you yeah. know, it, it would be. I mean, sure, you would have your Macallan twelve and eighteen and twenty five and Highland Park this and Ardbeg that. Uh, but that's it. It's your it's your standard stuff, and it becomes cookie cutter McMansion, uh, same old, same old, with with no variety. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that's that's definitely the strength of the industry um, is to have that variety. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting <clears throat> bringing bars together with Gordon McPhail together yeah. with how we think about independent bottlers. Um, when I was in Scotland last September with the Barrel Thief uh, Whiskey Geek yes. Tour, yep. um, we've, we've mentioned Barrel Thief and, and Christopher Grombeck before. And the first bar we're in uh, is in Elgin, uh, the Druthy Cobb. Yes, the Druthy. Uh, Right, lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely yeah. Uh, little whiskey bar that that we always frequent, <laughs> and um, always working, always working, always working, always working, and um, and so we're sitting there with a group, and I'm I'm going through the the menu, and I say, oh, I've I've got something that the table should be tasting here, and and it was the Glen Talkers, yeah, right? yeah, and so out comes this. 1970s looking bottle <laughs> with this kind yeah. of twisted Glen Talker's name running from the bottom left to the top right yep. uh, of a quite a vertical label. Yep. Nobody knew what we were doing with that, yeah. and uh, we started tasting it. <laughs> what and are it you going to do with this? <laughs> right, right. Exceptional. Absolutely yeah. exceptional. We only had that Glen Talker's in front of us because of Gordon McPhail. Yeah. Like the, the only quote unquote official bottling of Glen Talkers comes from this independent bottler. Yeah, it's so interesting. With the appropriate branding attached to it. Uh, they've also, if I'm right in saying this, they've got access to the Imperial label. Correct. The Glen Grant label. Correct. Is there another one that I'm forgetting? Uh, Linkwood. Mm. Yeah, Linkwood. Oh my goodness! I remember the first time I saw one of those bottles, uh, mid nineties. I'm in Edinburgh. I'm on yeah. Rose Street, the street yeah. you know parallel to Princess Street. Yep. And I'm in a whiskey bar, and I see this label with an, a golden eagle on it. Mm. And given that it was the mid nineties, this looked like it was straight out of the seventies. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> "What on earth is that?" Found out it was the Linkwood. Got a pour of it absolutely loved it but I was just my mind was blown that the 70s label was in use in the 90s and the whiskey could be good and not crazy old and yeah. it was it was yeah it messed with my head but um, but yeah how could I have forgotten the Linkwood label so yeah. well done you well done you're on fire today man you're, Look at that. you're doing well I know I'm, I'm trying to hold back from screaming because I'm literally on fire <laughs> no knowledge, but uh, <laughs> that's what the siren was a moment ago. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I would say that even in the 2010s, which is where we are now, 
that and label still looks like it's in the 70s. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. I, and I, I love... I love it. I, yeah. I love that Glenn Talker's label. I love the way they've done that. Um, we, we got a bit of Richard on Wax talking about the, the Glenn Grant uh, official bottlings that they yeah. do, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Let's shoot over to that. Yeah. So um, I was trying to my uncle um, not long ago, a few months ago, and he was telling me that we became a licensed bottler probably as early as 1896. So looking at um, what that means as a licensed bottler, we were filling casks and we would say to the distillery that we weren't going to blend the whiskey, we were going to bottle it as a single malt. And they'd give us a number of labels with that cask that we would just stamp our name in the bottom. This is where our distillery label range comes from. So we've been bottling whiskeys from the series for such a long time that we can still use in a number of cases their original distillery label. Okay. Well, so that brings me to something that, that I was going to talk about. I was at um, uh, Glen Grant maybe a year ago now, and going to Glen Grant at their distillery shop, and, and right there are Gordon McPhail bottlings with, you know, that classic label that you have for Glen Grant. For me, that's a, a great example of how we work in the industry. We're not here to compete with brand owners. That's not what we're about. It's about complementing and offering a variety of differences to the series' own bottlings. And with Glen Grant, yes, we've got a great relationship, but we still fill casks. Most of our whiskey gets from the share casks um, at the distillery. But yeah, we do sell bottles stock back to them as exclusive bottlings for the distillery. And I think that's a really nice way of showing how Gormacrail works in the business. We're not there competing, we're complementing what distilleries do. So it's interesting listening to Richard there talking about this term that we keep hearing all the way through our podcast, yeah. all the way through our interviews, where no independent bottler wants to compete with anybody yeah. else. Nope. Right? They they know what they're doing. They know what they're about. They know what they want to achieve in any given year. And then they go out and achieve it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they really are populated with some of the nicest people. Um, and, and some of the nicest business plans, right? Where it's good Glen Grant in a bottle mm-hmm. that shows up at the Glen Grant distillery. Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I hate to be non-controversial. We live in such a hot take society. Yeah. I have, I have no hot take on that at all. No, I just no. think it's lovely. I just think it's really nice. No, I agree. And, and, and maybe, maybe I'll be the one getting a little controversial, but I, I would just love to see more of that. You know, granted Glenn Grant, see what I did there? Granted Glenn Grant. Uh, so granted Glenn Grant, <laughs> Okay, there have to be words that come next, Joshua. You, you can't just live on your pun for the rest of this podcast. There have to be more words after it. Oh, man, I want to do that a few more times. No. The relationship with Glenn Grant and Gordon McPhail go back quite a ways, mm. as does the relationship with whether it's Glenn Talkers or the parent company of Glenn Talkers, which is Pinot Ricard, or with Imperial, which... They're now closed, but again, another parent company, Pernod Ricard. It would be great to see other brands owned by other parent companies to do something similar. You know, I, I get it, though, that they, you know, they're very protective of their brands, right? Very. And, and they want to make sure that if the brand name is on a bottle, that whatever is inside 
is really good. Correct. I was with um, Ian Allen of Glen Murray yesterday and um, and uh, had a nice sit down with him, and that'll be for a later podcast. But one of the things that we discussed, because he he's, he had said the same thing, he's partnering. He or, or you know Glenn Murray is partnering with us uh, because they see how we want to promote their brand. Yes, and what they are offering to us is sanctioned whiskey. So they're giving us casks that they say, you know, here's here are styles that we we wouldn't mind if Single Cast Nation puts forth. And, and they have their own tasting panel. And, you know, if they want to, they can go ahead and say, you know, Graham Cool tasted these. And, um, you know, he, he's cool with whichever one you pick. Right? It's, it, it, it's the same thing we did uh, when we took the group of, of six to Glen Murray back in 2014, where mm-hmm. we pre-selected three casks. And said, uh, okay, whichever one these guys pick, we will bottle. So it's the... It's, again, back to that word, collaboration, Yep. where if the distillery is behind and partners with the independent bottler, there can be a, um, a synergy. Oh, oh, oh nope. No? Nope. No, that's not a word I know. to be used. It's, nope. it's such jargon yeah, speak. Yeah, no, I know you don't like that word. I know, I hate it. Oh, how about a force multiplier? Gosh, gosh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my point is, um, there are partnerships and collaborations that I would love to see more of, whether it's with us or any other independent bottlers, yeah. to, to somehow take a little power away from uh, the big corporate marketing machines and say, well, let's think about this from a whiskey lover standpoint. Yeah, and there are definitely people representing those brands who would like to see a similar move. Um, Of course. Oh, yeah, of course. It's hard for them to argue higher up the chain of command as well. Oh, yeah. But you just keep chipping away at it, chipping away at it. Yeah, and and like I said, what I was talking about was very controversial, but, but I enjoyed how you you picked up the thread there and said you know it's it's not everybody it's not everyone within that organization that says correct no, right it's, correct it, yeah. well and it's easy to lose sight of that with with any mention of a big brand right it's easy to throw around the word diageo and and forget that there are hundreds of people employed by diageo around yeah. the world who have yeah. their own opinions on whiskey and don't necessarily agree with with the the corporate decision makers, hmm. but they're paying your salary. You you kind of got to fall in line. Yeah. But but yeah, we you know it's again part of those side conversations we have with folk who are saying yeah I'd love to see us do X Y and Z hmm. um, maybe one day and then they continue to chip away as well. So yeah, it, it's yeah it's a, an industry that's constantly in flux. Uh, we we've always known that about the whiskey industry and things will happen things will change things will mm-hmm. alternate you know, look at our selections with with wild turkey you right know? yeah you know when you get a chance to be the only independent bottle in the world bottling wild turkey with the name on it that says a lot for that corporation that's made a decision about how wild turkey can be represented in the wild and you know that's that is a that is an excellent point well thank you sir <laughs> <laughs> oh 
it sounds like we're going to pour something, Jason. Did you stick your thumb in that to make that sound? <laughs> stick my thumb in what? Who's the kid who sits in the corner and sticks in his thumb? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Who's the kid? It's not... Uh, how can I forget that? It's not Georgie Porgy. He kissed the girls and made them cry. It's little... Somebody... Little boy somebody. Blue. He needed the money. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the only Andrew Dice Clay joke I remember. <laughs> so we have officially poured some whiskey to be drunk, but... I see a Hatton poured in your glass. Oh, and I only did a half Hatton. Oh, you did a half Hatton? I did yeah. a full Hatton. I still have to get to the gym. What? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> God, that was such a nice subtle dick. Oh, that was so good. Anyway, what's in your glass, Joshua Hatton? <laughs> um... <clears throat> This this whiskey came up a few times yesterday. I have our new Ben Nevis, twenty year old. That is a delightful it whiskey. Is, yeah, from a uh, from a sherry punchin. What do you have? In honor mm. of our conversation with Richard Arkert from Gordon McPhail right. in Elgin. Oh right, look at that. I have our Glen Elgin 18-year-old in my glass. Hey, look at that. Elgin, Elgin, I see what you did. Elgin all the way down. I also wanted to get the, a little mouthful of this on a podcast because I think we have nine bottles left, eight bottles left. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's about to disappear into our bottle archive. After bringing in 277 bottles of 18-year-old Glen Elgin, such a delicate 18-year-old whiskey as well. That refill bourbon hoggy maturation has just allowed the Glen Elgin spirit to, to shine through over those 18 years. I wouldn't call it delicate. I would call it... <laughs> I'd call it elegant. Oh, that's, that's also a very nice way to say it. I'm not going to fall out with you over that choice of word. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Speaking yeah. of having a Glen Elgin in a refill bourbon hoggy for 18 years. Yeah. Gordon and McPhail are known for sending casks to distilleries yeah. to be filled and then return to their warehouses. And you, yes. my good man, yes. were smart enough oh, man. during your time with Rich. I know, I know this... This podcast is going to go down in history as the nicest I've ever been to you. But I will live with those consequences. My my headphones are about to break because my head is getting so large. His head grew three times that day. Uh, so anyway, you had the good sense yes. to, to ask Richard about that. And I, I love what, what he laid down for us. So... Uh, Back over to Richard. Hey. So what we do is we match spirit and oak together. So we look at a distillery character and we match a cast character to that spirit. We then define a length of maturation and then we bottle it when we feel it's ready. So we work with three bodegas in Hereth to get sherry cast produced. One of the companies we work with called Williams & Humbert, we've been working with them for over 100 years and we actually bottled their sherry for them in Scotland up until the mid-70s. Okay. So even now we're still buying sherry casks from them. We get a number of XLR casks, 
um, European oak casks from them, but we also work with two other bodegas to get seasoned casks, just because we need to get the right casks for matching to the correct spirits and so on. So the key thing for us is, it's always about filling our own casks, just so we can control how much whiskey we have in the future, but we can also control the quality of what we produce as well. That's not to say there's not good quality whiskey that you can purchase as mature whiskey. Mm-hmm. We're just minimizing our risk as a business and using our knowledge of maturation to make sure we have the whiskies that we need in the years to come. I mean, I'm in the privileged position of selling whiskies. My great-grandfather filled, yeah. my grandfather filled, my dad and my uncles filled, and my aunt. I've been back nine years now, so we're all selling whiskies that I've been involved with in the business. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's very much laying down the same quality of whiskey and new make spirit that I've enjoyed and the business enjoys for future generations of the business. Gordon McPhail is doing something that no one else is doing. You know, sending your own casks to... Di- well, I shouldn't say no one else, but that is their... Yeah, you should not say no one else. Yeah, because, yeah. but that is their common practice. And that has been their common practice, as you heard from from Richard. And I, I just I, that that amazes me. It 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 truly amazes me um, how they how they operate their bottling company. The fact that they've got such um, tight control on it. While I'm envious of that, I'm also pleased with how we do it. We have the luxury to really cherry pick. Mm-hmm. what we want correct and correct. and and while they have a tight control and they're always coming out with good stuff it's, it's you know there are few if any that i said oh you know i didn't like you know i really enjoy gordon mcphail's whiskeys um they will run into the chance of having whiskey that just didn't turn out the way they wanted it to turn out. Yeah, it's also interesting listening to him talk about their various markets around the world mm-hmm. and and the level of knowledge that they have about those markets. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and so it's it's one thing to say a cask didn't work out. It's another thing to say it, it, it did something that maybe wasn't expected or it did something that would appeal to a particular market. And I think with their level of knowledge... They definitely know where to put the right casks. If I look at worldwide trends I see in Asia, even Australia, Australasia and the US and Canada, there seems to be a growing trend towards smaller batches and cask strength whiskies. So we automatically see that growing in every country. I think that's something as a producer, we can look at that trend and we can start to match our releases to fit that requirement. Okay. In terms of working, what we're aligned with our partners and markets. So yeah, we have distributors and importers in 54 countries around the world. And they really are our partners. They're an extension of us effectively in that market. We can distribute our products without their them. So yeah, it's very much as a partnership. So we work very closely with them to understand the market requirements and then try and produce products or adjust our strategy to give them the products if we can to fit their markets. And every market is different. I'm off to Asia next week, and the whiskies they're looking for will be quite different to some of the whiskies that the U.S. would look for, and so on. So just before we wrap up our interview portion of the podcast, as he's talking about markets there, it got me thinking uh, about a, a trip that I had last September where I was actually just chilling with my brother uh, in Scotland. We, we were going around golfing for a few days, uh, which is always a lot of fun. Uh-huh. And we're in Perth. 
and we walk into a bar and, and I, I do apologize I, I can you okay there you want a drink you want a drink oh yeah let me have a sip oh. there you go you have a sip for that cough I'll have mm. a sip with you see if it'll help your cough as well Mm-mm-mm-mm. so we walk into this bar in Perth and uh, I forget the name of it uh, it had been a good night up to that point and <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking I take a step back and I'm looking over their their whiskey collection yeah and there in the top right of their back bar is the Glen Talkers hey, right? with, yeah. with the vertical swirl label right yep. and I'm looking at it and I think it says 1991 Glen Talkers right graduated from high school that year the bottle yeah. is unopened. Oh. And I say to the to the bartender, how much for a pour of the nineteen ninety one Glen Talkers? And so he goes over to the computer and he's plugging in numbers and he's away and, and my brother gets his pine and we're sitting stand, you know, standing there talking away. And uh, the guy comes by and says, Listen, I'm really sorry, it's not in the computer. Oh. I was like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, okay, but well, don't worry about it. And he says, no, 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 no. And so he so he goes away and he says, I'll go ask someone. So he goes away again. Yeah. My brother and I are just standing at the bar talking away. Yeah. He's away for a little bit of time. He comes back and he says, um, I'm really sorry, but I couldn't find anybody who knew the answer. I was like, listen, don't worry about it. I'm just going to just get a pint of something. Don't worry about it. Because at this point I'm thinking, it's 2016. Yeah. This is a 1991 Glen Talkers. Yeah. I'm wasting this guy's time finding out the price of it when all I'm going to say is, uh, I'll just take a pint. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I don't want to be that guy. Such a Jason move. Such right? a Jason right? move. Yeah. Maybe even I'll just have a half pint. Yeah. So, oh, no, that's a Josh move. <laughs> no, that's a water. Don't <laughs> get it mixed oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> um, Right, so I'm like, don't don't worry about it. And I just go back to talking to my brother. Next thing out the corner of my eye, I see the bartender climbing the back bar. Wow, right? okay. Like, Seriously, call it off, call off the search. <laughs> uh, and he, he, he reaches up, he grabs the bottle and uh, climbs back down with it. I'm like, careful there, careful there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he turns it around, and, and there is, there's a little tiny price tag on the back oh, of nice. it, right? Okay. For the purport. Yeah. And he goes, uh, oh, I'm really sorry about all of that. And I'm like, and of course, because we're Scottish, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, I'm more <laughs> sorry. You know how it goes. Oh, yeah. And, and he, he says, anyway, it's it, it's four pounds, 10 pence a four. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, because you went to so much trouble, I'll take a double. <laughs> and so here's me drinking a double pour of 1991 Glen Talkers. Wow. That was freshly opened for me. It's not in the computer, and it was absolutely oh, delicious. So, so there you go. So always keep your eyes peeled for the, the mystery Glen Talkers. Um, that look completely out of place in a bar, um, but there's a very good chance there's wow. good whiskey inside it. So, so cheer, cheers to Richard on that one, and, and cheers to you for a good interview. I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> cheers. But think about it, and I know you wanted to end on that, but I'm just going to throw this really quickly. Um, think about your experience with that Glen Talkers 
or anybody's experience with the Gordon McPhail Imperial or anybody's experience with our Glen Elgin um, selection. These are distilleries that were built for a singular purpose, and that is to create malt whiskey to go into a blend. And you simply will not have a chance to enjoy those whiskeys if it weren't for independent bottlers. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Wow, 8 pounds, 20 pence for a pour of 1991 Glen Talkers. Double pour. That's why I said eight pounds twenty because it was four pound ten. See that I did math. I multiplied by two. I've been you practicing. didn't identify. You just said eight pounds twenty pence for a pour of Glen Talkers, and that's how we describe yeah. single pours. Gosh, I was so busy uh, practicing my my math skills that I um, I let my um, uh, uh. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy! Uh, Eight a.m. Chicago drinking. Yeah. Okay, I, uh, another I, thing. <laughs> uh, don't let me. Don't go. But I'll tell you this other thing. <laughs> so you know what time it is? <laughs> I, I do. What? Oh, what time I is do. it? It's drunk o'clock in <laughs> Chicago. I am not drunk. I'm not, just having a I good time with you. I don't know. I'm just having a, <laughs> that's what a drunk says at my state in the morning. <laughs> I'm not drunk. I'm just having a good time with you. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only drinking for your company. <laughs> <sighs> is it news time, Joshua? It is. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, okay. extra. Read all about okay. it. We're here, and we're going to talk about the news, Jason. Are you I right? like that plan. It's a good plan. It is. It's something that we do every week. <laughs> what it is, what we do. So many words. <laughs> so <laughs> You'd think we get paid by the word, the word on this podcast. Oh, my gosh. That'd be nice. One of us would be pulling down a bit more cash than the other. I don't know this whole podcast. You have been a bit more of a chatty Cathy than I I have. don't think this is true at all. Oh, my gosh. Let's go to the tape. Let's go to the tape. <laughs> We're creating the tape right now. <laughs> What's happening now is happening now now. Try here. Stop. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Now. Now we are doing it live. We are doing it live. So let's do this live. So news. Topical. Yeah. Um, we have three bits of news to share with people. We do. Which one first, Joshua? You know what, let's, let's do the quickest, easiest one first, and it is the shortest one, and we will... Must be mine, then. It's yours. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as you said it's got the fewest words, I knew it was me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, when this podcast goes live, mm-hmm. our first retail release for Single Cast Nation will be shipping its way across the country. Yes. And should be if it isn't already, close to appearing on retail shelves. 
So I, I think when we do our next news segment in a couple of weeks, we'll give a rundown of retailers where we can be found. Uh, by that point, we'll have a, a much better idea of who has brought us into their store. Right now, we've got promises, mm-hmm. right? We've mm-hmm. got purchase orders, as we say in the business. Oh, we do say that. Yeah. But we'll get to see who follows through on those orders, and uh, and we'll give them a little plug on the podcast. Yeah. And, and for those of you that are playing at home and are interested where it will hit first, uh, everything we import comes into California. And because California is a shorter distance to California than it is to New York. That is some strong geography there, Joshua. Look at that. I didn't think they taught geography in American schools. (laughs) Well, they do. It's just all America. Oh, gotcha. You're good at it. Carry on. Carry on. (laughs) So uh, you can expect to see our whiskeys in California store shelves sooner rather than later. And, uh, And then... Our whiskeys will be popping up here, there, and everywhere in the seven markets that we've talked about that we don't need to list again. I don't think Look at you not giving a list again. That's not like you at all. Do we have huh. to? I, I could see it in your eyes that you absolutely want to give a list, but <laughs> I would love for you to not do that. Wow. So we have to give the list then. <laughs> I, I feel a list coming on, Joshua. <laughs> California, Connecticut, Connecticut, Illinois, Illinois, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey. Where else? Oh, Rhode Island. We're off on the road to Rhode Island. We're having the time of our lives. Take it, dog. We're quite a pair of partners, just like Thelma and Louise. Except you're not six feet tall. Yes, and your breasts don't reach your knees. Give it time. We're off on the road to Rhode Island. We're certainly going in style. I'm with an intellectual who craps inside his pants. How dare you? At least I don't leave urine stains on all the household plants. <laughs> that's it. We got yeah. our markets. Yeah, yeah. So we got our markets. Cool. So, uh, cool, cool, cool. yeah, so, that, so that's good. So whiskey will be in your mouths before too long. Assuming they buy it. Oh, I, tr- I, I trust in the fact that everyone in America listening to this podcast... I don't know. I can't trust in that. But, you know, I, I would thank everyone if they did. I just don't want people to think it appears on a retail shelf and then they get it in their mouth. There's, oh. there's a step in between that. There is. So on a retail shelf, yep. one makes the purchase. Oh. Okay. One consumes it from a brown paper bag on a street corner. <laughs> We've talked about the brown paper bagging. We have. Yeah. We have. Yeah. We've done it. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. What's next? Yeah. So what's next? So now I'll go over to the uh, slightly more verbose uh, news item. Which is a real shame if that section there was the short one. (laughs) (laughs) And we had about 16,000 unnecessary words in it. (laughs) Let's see what we can do with the second piece of news. Um, Well, I'll tell you, I am excited because we just won a Drammy Award. We did. That was tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. Yep. So- Continuing the theme of the podcast, actually, you, you said something very nice on the face place. Whoa. Yeah. 
you 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 you'd said you'd written uh, we beat out some stiff competition, mm-hmm. and then you very cleverly moved into saying, well, really, we were up with a lot of good people and good friends, and we were the lucky ones to get this. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm very uh, clever. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't think stiff competition really, really, you know, it doesn't really fit with what we've described in the podcast. No, no, not not at all. And, um, you know, part of that was me being cheeky, but... It was. It was very cheeky. Yeah. But I liked what you did next. That was, yeah. the, that was the bonus yeah. part. You know, we, we were up against uh, four other great um, bottlers, blenders, producers, and... Um, Who were the other four? Um... Uh, okay, and we were up against some good company. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Well, I can tell you High West was in the group. Oh, fantastic. Right? Oh, that's and, lovely. Uh, you know, this lovely. is... Um, and, you know, friends with High West, Dave Perkins, yeah. and yeah. Uh, to to be within that company... That's shocking. Felt, felt great. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. I, I figure Compass Box had to have been in the category. I'm sure you're right. They had to be. I'm sure you're right. Let's say they are. Say they yeah. were, yeah, yeah. As as you as sharp eared listeners might be picking up, I was very surprised that we won an award because I didn't know we were up for one. So <laughs> I'm I'm learning about it in this uh, section of the news. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, tremendous honor. Really, really exciting. And you know, hopefully, it speaks to what we're trying to achieve and what people see us trying to achieve. Um, yeah, we take each of our bottlings seriously while having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of... Yeah. I think that transitions perfectly into the third segment of the news. You know, our transitions to this podcast have been so... Pretty strong. I'd I'd even venture to say smooth. Oh! Smooth. Do you you think we could win an award for them? I don't know. I'd need the proof. Anyway. I'm now award hungry. That's the trouble. That's why I don't want to look at these categories, because I don't want to get award hungry. I want to do it for the love of the game, Joshua. I don't want to do it for the, the recognition. Okay? <laughs> so just keep me grounded. I'll keep you grounded. Come keep on. Keep me grounded. Head Officially beneath grounded. the clouds. Please. Head beneath your wings. Isn't that a song? The wind beneath your wings. That's what it is. It's not head at all. Yeah, head head beneath my wings. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Opportunity missed for someone. Anyway, anyways, so so completely. Okay, go ahead. So in our third segment, uh, we have selected the single cask for our whiskey jubilee new york city bottling coming up fast on june 15 indeed indeed we're dipping back into the mgp well Mm -hmm. given that we have bottled some american light whiskey also known as american grain whiskey from them bottled a a few of those and we've bottled one single cask of rye from them Mm -hmm. you've got a good memory there and this will be our very first MGP bourbon. Yeah. For those of you who may not uh, be familiar with what MGP is, MGP is a distillery in Indiana, um, also known as, well, MGP stands for Midwest Grain Products. 
They were previously known as LDI, or Lawrenceburg Distillers, Indiana. And before that, it was the old Seagram's plant. And so many bourbons and ryes that are on store shelves now. Uh, it's, it's basically whiskey sourced from this distillery uh, with a brand sort of wrapped around it. When they first built the old Seagram's plant, did they call it the old Seagram's plant? Or is that a fourth name for it? So at yeah. one stage it was the new Seagram's plant. Then it was the old Seagram's plant. Then it was LDI. Then it was MGP. No, I think when they opened it, it was the old Seagram's plant. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that on a big sign at their front door. Old Seagram's plant. Now open. <laughs> now open. Grand opening. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should say it is an 11-year-old uh, single cask of MGP bourbon mm-hmm. uh, that will be bottled at a natural cast strength. I don't have the details in front 53. of me. 53.9% alcohol. 53.9. This is why I keep Joshua around. He's he's useful at times when I don't have things written down. So <laughs> 53.9. That's, that's an interesting little number for an 11-year-old. I, I'm guaranteeing you, given the, the fan base that we have and the active communicators that we have, will be asked why that is a seemingly low ABV for an 11-year-old single-cask bourbon. What's the term that the Scots use when they don't have any idea? Um, it's a sweary word. Oh, no, that's not the one I'm thinking of. That's that's just where you go. Um. It's all one word. It's, it's a whole string of words all together. Fuck if I know. <laughs> Well, what's the more kid-friendly one? When you, uh, I don't know. Denny Kane. Denny Kane. No, not right either. I'm, I'm getting my Scots all wrong this morning. Okay. No, I thought was, I've got no Scooby. Oh, a Nescoob. 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 Yeah. I we do say that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't say it on Outlander, yeah. but we say it in Glasgow. <laughs> but that, that, that MGP bourbon, we, we'd gotten a few samples and and this one was head and shoulders above the others and and what was not that the others were were bad they were you know they were definitely good little casks of whiskey but um this was the first one we tasted in the group and we said oh my gosh if the other two are anywhere near as good as this then you know then we we've got some good stuff here it ended up being that the other two were not as good as this one. So it was nice to taste the best one first. They weren't, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, 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 not, and not say, oh, you know, those ones are okay, but then you taste that one. And then, it, it, you know, the tasting of that one's a bit colored by the first two that you've had that, that weren't as good. Yeah, yeah. we also had some rise uh, in amongst the samples, so mm-hmm. just don't want anyone at home thinking that it was all just bourbon that we were tasting. We had some bourbons, we had some rise uh, in those samples, and uh, yeah, terrific, terrific bourbon. I'm very excited to have our first MGP bourbon, um, given that I think <laughs> I, always, I always have kind of a little introduction here, just kind of covering my bases here, but I think we were the first... Independent bottler to put Lawrenceburg Distillers Indiana on a label. Am I right in saying that? <laughs> so it's it's funny. Yeah, yes. I, as far as I'm aware, 
The answer to that is yes. And I remember posting that on Facebook and, and someone someone on Facebook, and this is my personal feed, and, and some cheeky, cheeky bugger said, don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. <laughs> Didn't you just pat yourself on the back earlier in this podcast? I do, and, and I haven't hurt myself yet. <laughs> you limber up before these podcasts so. i do it's all it's my um, calisthenics <laughs> so yeah so as always with us it'll be full disclosure yep and um, we're working on a very interesting label uh mm. for this uh whiskey jubilee release i can't wait yep i and i i'm terrible at hinting and i'm gonna say literally no more about the label and i'm not gonna let you say anything either i wouldn't Okay, but it's going to be fun. And all the nerds will be checking out the TTB website way ahead of us. Please don't. <laughs> Go on. No, Go on. Go do, do it. it. Do it. All those, those millions we spend in marketing. And do then it. We go to the TTB website. <laughs> also, millions. to be clear, that, you know, using the word nerds, we're, we're obviously among that number. Uh, obviously yes. <laughs> count ourselves among that number. Uh, nerds, whiskey nerd, whiskey geek. I'm, I ha- I answer to all of them. Um, so yeah, please please don't think I'm being disparaging. Um, no, I very much uh, I'm on that number. Of course, of course. Okay, so that was a very quick news segment that uh, that ran long. Uh, all right. Uh, on to misconception. On to misconceptions. Oh, Jason looks. Like, you look like you have something at the tip of your I do, tongue. I, I, and it, it might not even take us very long to discuss, but it, I think it came out of our conversation earlier. Yeah. If you're looking at a label, and you think that's fallen out of a distant era, mm. mm-hmm. give it a try. Right? You never know what you yeah. might find. Certainly, as my Perth story alludes to, check the price. It might be a price that you can't afford to not drink it at, <laughs> right? And yeah. so if, if we have the expression, don't judge a book by its cover, I think we should definitely introduce don't judge a whiskey by its label. We, we talk about whiskeys at the other end of the spectrum in a very fancy wooden box in some kind of crystal decanter yeah. with a very expensive closure or seal on it um Mm -hmm. and we we say i just want to get to the juice inside well let's go to the other end of the spectrum on that one right there's a label that looks like it's from the 70s there's a bottle that looks like it's been forgotten about on a shelf yeah yeah jump into that give that a try see what that's like so so i i I quite like introducing that one into our our whiskey lexicon so i guess that wasn't really a misconception. I guess it absolutely it, I guess, was, sir. Yeah, it absolutely it, it was. was. It, it absolutely wow. was, sir. Wow. I just poked the bear. Look at that. <laughs> How dare you imply that was not a misconception. <laughs> so, we received some emails. Hey. Yeah. Um, and actually, the amount of email, uh, Facebook messages, tweets... Etc. 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 It has increased, and so um, we will try to get to as many of these as we can. But we pulled two out. That I think uh, two's good. Yeah, two's two's a good number. So we received one from James Foster. Hooray! Yeah, we know James well. Well, you know James far better than I do. 
I do, I do. Very good lad. Yeah. And uh, he actually sent us a question a, a while back that we're going to uh, build an entire episode around. That's so that, right. that one is just sitting quietly yep. uh, in the archive. But now we've got a, a fresh question from him for this week. Yeah, um, and, and, and it actually, he, he used the the last episode with with wild turkey i think to to pose this question and so james force <laughs> james foreskin <laughs> yeah to a man with a circumcised penis everything looks like a foreskin <laughs> so james goes on to ask i've noticed that scn bourbons tend to have higher abvs than scn scotches by the way jason scn stands for single cask nation thank you Yep. <laughs> Do you intentionally go higher ABV for bourbons? And he goes on to say, and why don't you insist on 61.3% ABV with scotch? Does the number of commandments only apply if you're dealing with American distillers? And then finally, he says, <laughs> I'm sitting here finishing my bottle of SCN 13-year-old Aaron. Oh, nice. Nice, Miss nice you guys. Nice. We miss you too, James Foster, tremendous supporter of the nation. If I remember correctly, he posted a photo on the Single Cast Nation uh, private member's Facebook page surrounded by his SCN bottles. Oh, right. And it was a vast collection. Indeed. uh, I appreciate his support and his friendship. So anyway, what what are the answers to his questions? Okay, so to the first one. I think the answer is simple uh, as to why SCN bourbons may have higher ABVs than scotches. Nature of the beast, right? Well, it is. Um, You know, in Scotland, the average um, angel share or loss loss that you have is about 2% alcohol each year, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to fill their casks typically... At 63.4% alcohol, that that is, again, an industry standard. And the first few years, you're going to lose a little, a little more than, than you would. So maybe maybe they're going to lose 4% in those first few years, and then it, then it slows down to that, to that 1% or 2%, averaging out to your 2% year over year. Uh, but with bourbon, uh, you know, thinking back to... Um, our conversation uh, with with Eddie Russell and Wild mm-hmm. Turkey um, in Kentucky, you have a completely different climate, and where Wild Turkey loses thirty percent overall, so that that is that's volume. Um, Heaven Hill actually loses more water than they do alcohol. I think back to our Heaven Hill um, Jubilee bottling. And and this will segue quite nicely in into that sixty one point three percent alcohol. Beautiful. Um, Be- just just pause. Yeah. Beautiful work, Joshua. Beautiful work. Continue. <laughs> now it's time for me to mess it up. Um, <laughs> the the single cask uh, that we selected from Heaven Hill uh, ended up being around seventy four percent alcohol. And that was its natural cask strength. Even though they filled it, 
you know, somewhere around 63, 65% alcohol, whatever that number was, you know, there, there's a, also a, a, a standard uh, here in the U.S. But because that cask was sitting on the seventh floor of the warehouse for 15 some odd years. It's an incredible amount of time to, <laughs> to put a barrel yeah. of whiskey anywhere. Yeah, yeah they, they, <laughs> lose, they lost water rather than alcohol. And so here's the thing. This is me now getting to your 61.3% question. We wanted to dilute the whiskey to 61.3% alcohol because A, 74% alcohol. Um, actually, I thought it was quite enjoyable, but we were able to get a few more bottles out of it. So that, that, was, that was a plus. Given that at 61.3% alcohol, we only got 87 bottles out of the cask. So it was a very short cask. That's remarkable. Um, yeah. And so um, because we knew we had to dilute, because we knew we wanted to dilute it um, and keep with the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I can say this because I'm a Jew. And to keep with the Jewiness of the release, um, you know, we wanted it at 61.3% alcohol. You know, Heaven Hill partnered with us on that. At, at the year that we bottled that, it was the Hebrew year of 5774. And Heaven Hill, being a Jewish-owned distillery, said, well, wait a second, let's do the math here. 5,774 days throws us into 15 years old. Why don't, why don't we, and, and they even, they had, they selected three casks for us that they actually pulled the liquid out on the day of its 15th birthday. So on its 5,700, whatever it is, on, on, on day 5774, that, that was a sample that we got. So they really bought into the, to the whole, you know, shticky Jewish thing about this. So it was a fun thing to do. And because um, I was selecting casks with Eddie for a, um, a Whiskey Jubilee release, I thought, boy, wouldn't it be great to follow suit and, and, and do another one at 61.3% alcohol. With single cast nation, we never dilute, ever. Ever. And, right? And, and, never. And, and our, our MGP light whiskey is at, you know, 68.95% alcohol and so on proves yep. that, you know, we're, we're not afraid to release really high ABV whiskeys. But with Whiskey Jubilee, we have some freedom to... Um, around a little bit it is it is it's a great outlet for us to do something a little bit different yeah. than we have within our our standard single cast nation line yeah and, and and with american whiskeys for whiskey jubilee given that they tend to have a slightly higher alcohol content after maturation or maybe not tend but you have the ability to it depending on where they're storing that cask um we have the ability to dilute to 61.3 where when scotches are when are filled at 63.4 at percent alcohol you know for the most part once you hit eight nine ten plus years old typically speaking there's no way you could dilute it to that abv even if we wanted to um, yeah I, th I think we've had a couple of higher strength glenmurray releases Mm -hmm. uh, I still don't think we've magically landed on a 61.3. No. Um, 
uh, I, I feel like we had a 61 something and a 60 point something uh, both from Glenn Murray yeah and, and our new Ben Nevis 8 year old is 64.8% alcohol so they obviously filled at a higher ABV kind of like Tam Dew Tam Dew fills all of their casks at 70% alcohol yeah it's a big number that you don't tend to hear that often within the industry yeah, there was a, there was a time uh, I think post Second World War when Glenfarclas were filling way up there as well, somewhere in the seventies. Yeah, uh, Karazawa I think were known for for filling at seventies. <laughs> That's how we got that forty two year old at fifty seven point nine percent alcohol. Oh, yeah, lightning, <laughs> yeah, lightning in a bottle. So anyway, was there was there another part to James? Did we get all the portions of his question answered? I I think we did. Yeah, I think we covered it all. And just that we also miss you. But I think that we touched on that before. <laughs> we definitely touched on that. <laughs> okay, so second email this week comes from Natalie uh, Weisenbaum, mm-hmm. who's, who we've had communication with via the Twitter machine. And, um, yeah. and now we have a, an email from her. So thank you for sending that in, Natalie. Hi, Josh and Jason. Okay, we're already off to a rocky start because our names are in the wrong order. So I could have I could have improvised, but well, instead I thought I'd point out the error. Well, I, I I would like to point out that the biggest faux pas of this is that it's not Joshua. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I really do. I prefer Joshua, but you know, look at you. I, I'm I'm a man with it with a big heart, and I let things <laughs> like this go. <laughs> I had a follow up. To last episode's discussion of shelf life, which I think segs nicely from the discussion of the American LDIs with uh, James Foster's question. Mm-hmm. My household loves whiskey, but we drink it slowly. So I'm wondering what advice you can provide about drinking it while it's fresh. How long can a half full bottle sit before its flavor goes noticeably off? What about a mostly empty bottle? More broadly, how would you recommend we keep our whiskey delicious while also maintaining a wide selection of open bottles? Hmm. Uh, then, then Natalie signs off and then follows that with a PS. Oh. My household is also lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the less decanters and argon gas rigs we have to deal with, the better. There's a Jason and the Argonauts joke in there somewhere <laughs> Jason, Jason and the Argon gas rigs <laughs> um, you know to be honest I, I think we touched on some of this last week hadn't we uh, we did quick quick recap if yep. if you have it in you to do a quick recap well you had a you had a really good suggestion uh, for people where once they get a bottle that they take out the first 100 milliliters or so and, and just put that into um, another bottle and, you know, just put that away, tuck it away to, f- to find for another day. Yeah. And and that automatically just sort of opens up the bottle, lets it, lets it oxidize a little bit if it needs it. And, and then you have got that fresh bottle to find at some later date. So let's think about that question then. So you've you've got your fresh bottle, you've opened it, mm-hmm. you've poured a hundred mils out of it. Maybe you've poured two hundred mils, right? So it's, you know whatever you're you're doing over there. Wow, throwing caution to the wind. Caution to the wind. What would you then say 
about that partially consumed yeah. bottle now sitting open on a shelf. I, I would say part one, keep it dark, right? Don't keep it next to a window. Yeah. Don't keep bright light shining in on it yeah. if it's in a clear bottle. Uh, part two, don't have it in an overly warm place. Right. Don't have it next to a radiator. Mm-hmm. Don't have it in the warmest room in your house. Yeah, you don't want to don't, don't store these in your sauna. Right. Um, but but even if you were storing this under ideal conditions, how long would you think a half a half of a full bottle would last if you were just drinking it? And as Natalie says, drinking it slowly and not really getting into the business of maintaining it in any kind of fancy way. Well, I look at my own collection and I would say the vast majority of my bottles are open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can attest to that. Yep. And and they have fill levels of anywhere between half full and three quarters full. Mm-hmm. And and then what I do is once it gets less than half filled, because because I'm like Natalie, I I don't want to be bothered with decanting things and putting things into smaller bottles. I I really enjoy keeping that bottle and looking at that label, and you know there there's there's something about having that bottle, and so I'll be honest, there's some that I just sort of let sit there, and and I probably shouldn't have, but if if I've got bottles that are getting below the halfway mark. Those are the ones that I like to bring out to people and maybe, you know, tip into a little more so that it goes sooner rather than later. But that doesn't help her laziness situation. Well, it, it, it doesn't. But I also know that Natalia and her wife Liz are tremendous hosts. Yeah. And so they like having people over to the house, yeah. pouring some cocktails for them, mixing up some drinks, doing things differently. Um I I th- I think even though they say we drink slowly, I don't think it's slow enough to really jeopardize half a bottle that they've got sitting on their shelf. Yeah, I would say getting back because you asked me a question, I didn't fully answer that. You didn't. <clears throat> I you know, I, hey, I look at my own faults. <laughs> and <laughs> I I've had some bottles that have been sitting at half full for a couple of years. My memory of how that whiskey was when it first opened compared to where it is now, there's not so much of a difference. Correct. Where I'm saying, oh, geez, this turned. You know, this 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 is not what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's that weird magical halfway point. You know, something that that she can do, uh, and and others who who are listening to this podcast, depending on the strength of your shelves, I've heard of a lot of people who will actually add just clear glass marbles into their bottle I, I was going to make that suggestion as well but if if you don't want to mess around with argon gas rigs uh, and other mechanisms mm-hmm. um, you know if, if you don't even want to decant your whiskey you're not going to mess around with glass marbles that's just not going to enter into the equation yeah that's true so I, I, I would just say I think they're safe if they get it down to a half bottle from the very beginning and drink through that over the course of a year, a year and a half, two years. Yeah, it's going to change a little bit. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to change radically. I think it becomes a radical change when you've got 
an inch left in the bottom of the bottle mm-hmm. and you save that for two years yeah i think i think that's a much bigger change than you're just going to see gradual change over the course of a half bottle uh, being poured over a couple of years as your experience uh, plays out as my experience plays out as other people that we discussed their mm-hmm. experience plays out I, I wouldn't stress that at all but if you really want it fresh oh. you're gonna have to drink a bit faster yeah make it happen she will <laughs> I wanted to mention uh, a couple of things here. Um, We have started getting some nice ratings and some nice comments on iTunes. That made me so happy. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, renewing that as often as I do and seeing no progress um, can be a little disheartening. I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm a sensitive guy. I have some feels. And uh, and when I saw two reviews, boom, I was over the yeah. moon. Over the moon. Yeah. Uh, nice to see. I, I have to say, and I thought once we started getting written reviews, that would open up the star reviews. But no, we still don't have enough star reviews to have an average. Can I tell you, though? Please do. We received a third review. Get out of Dodge. I will not get out of Well, I don't even have to because I'm in Chicago. So, um, but yeah, we, we, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So we have six, five star reviews and three, five star reviews with comments. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to any listener who went in and did that. Thank you ever so much. If you're, if you're a listener, you've been telling your friends about us. Thank you for doing that as well. Uh, we're we're trying to trying to grow something here. Trying to you know, trying to have a, a kind of an honest industry uh, podcast, just to kind of show another side to the the business. And um, if people are responding to that, lets us know that we're doing the right thing here. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, and you know, p- yeah. please continue rating us and 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 writing comments. Uh, any criticisms, just uh, email to us. <laughs> yeah, those that, those are best just direct <laughs> questions at OneNationUnderWhiskey.com. Uh, why do you... No, I'm not even going to give you any fodder for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah what, what is it they say in the restaurant industry? If, if you like us, tell your friends. If you didn't like us, tell a manager. Yes. Oh, I like that. Right, so that's that's the same for us. If you like us, sing it from the rooftops on iTunes. If something's amiss, please uh, yeah. drop us an email. Yeah, well, I, I think some people would say, "Why, why do you need us to rate your podcast? Why do you need us to write comments?" It it helps us in iTunes ranking. So that if people true. are looking for whiskey podcasts and and itunes is going to say well this one's getting great ratings and great reviews and this may be interesting to other people so it just helps us to get the word out so uh, yeah your help is uh most appreciated so uh thank you for that oh yes look for us on twitter at at one nation whiskey and that is whiskey without an e look for us on instagram at at One Nation Under Whiskey, and that's whiskey without an E. And we started using our Instagram account, by the way. So, there you go. Look for us on Facebook at... Facebook.com slash One Nation Under Whiskey, I think. <laughs> um, are we anywhere else? <laughs> Look for us on the road. Josh is in Chicago. <laughs> oh, Friendster. Let's not forget Friendster. No, I'm joking. Is that a dirty joke? No, you don't remember Friendster? No. Oh, wow. Was it like Tinder? 
<laughs> no, it, it was a it was a a precursor to um, to Facebook, precursor to MySpace. Oh wow, Friendster, yeah, Friendster. Yeah. You have to remember, you're much older than I am. <laughs> the six months you'll never let me forget <laughs> those six months. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of here. You're both busy, things to do, and the listeners have got to go and do their things too. Maybe they're at work already. They're sitting in the car waiting for this to end, and they want to go into their workplace. Maybe. All right. Have a dram before you go. Uh, but don't, don't drive. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>